morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Fantastic. I'm glad to hear it. Today our readings are all about God's love. In both our readings this morning, one from Paul's letter to the Ephesians and the one that we read from the Gospel of John, we're confronted with God's love, his love for us and for the whole world. And the love of God, it's a love that's so vast, so unimaginably great, that language strains to be able to communicate that kind of love. So today, I have an impossible task. There's no way to begin to understand it, to even begin to grasp it. But still, let's try, let's try. Today, we read that verse that you see everywhere, didn't we? We read that verse, on, we re- you see it everywhere on billboards and on t-shirts, bumper stickers, and even on uh, tattoos. People put it on tattoos, and I understand some tattoo parlors are running spring break specials uh, during this month. And so if, you've got, if you get inspired by today's sermon, there's some places where you can get a, a cheap tattoo um, of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the verse that Martin Luther, that great uh, reformer in the church, called uh, the gospel in miniature because it puts the good news in a nutshell. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's why people love it. It's the one verse in the Bible that's been translated into more languages than any other piece of literature in the history of the world. Nothing else has been translated into more languages than John 3.16. And if you ask people if they know any verse in the Bible, it's very likely that this is one that they will know. They might not know what it says, but they will certainly be able to say, oh yeah, John 3.16, because they've seen it in ball games behind the home plate. But what does it really mean? I mean, because when you take a verse like that and extract it from its context and even put it on the black eye paint under your eyes before the game so that the TV cameras can see it, could it possibly still carry the weight that it is meant to carry? Or does it begin to lose its meaning? Does it cease to mean anything at all? I don't know what it means to you. But today, I would like to wrestle it back into context a bit because it's amazing on its own. But taken together with everything else, it's a staggering statement about who God is and about the world in which we live. But maybe even more profoundly, whether we understand it or not, if what it says is true, if what it says is true, and it is, by the way, there's nothing that any of us can do about it. Because whether you like it or not, you live in a world created by this kind of God. So, let's look at our reading from the Gospel of John this morning. But before we jump in, I want you to grab your bulletins, but before we jump in, I want to mention something that that we saw in our readings from last week. Last week, if you were here, you remember that we read the Ten Commandments. We read the whole Ten Commandments from God. And I don't know if you noticed this, but when God commands us not to make a graven image, uh, to make any idols to worship, listen to what he says. He says, you shall not make for yourself a graven image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God wants all of our love. He doesn't want us spreading our love around to other things. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love and mercy to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, for years, I never saw this. And I always thought, what a terrible thing. God punishing the uh, children to the third and fourth generation for the sin of somebody else, the sin of the fathers. But think about it for a minute. I, I mean, isn't this what happens in the world? Haven't you seen this happen? Haven't you known people who've suffered the consequences of the actions of a parent? 
I mean, a father goes to jail for tax evasion, and the consequences echo in the lives of the children, and even the grandchildren sometimes. A mother lets her abusive boyfriend come and live in the home, and the children, children suffer and carry those scars into their own relationships. The sins of the fathers and mothers can have a huge and lasting impact on the children. They can change the course of their entire lives, and the ramifications can echo for generations. But that's not even the point that I want to make. That's not the point I want to make. This is the, what blew me away when I finally heard what God was saying. Think about it, what he, what he is saying when God says this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation, but showing steadfast love and mercy to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see the, the way the scales are balanced? On one side, you have three or four generations. And on the other side, you have thousands who receive love and mercy from God. What kind of a God is this? The steadfast love and mercy are overwhelming. He is overwhelmingly merciful. Back then, when God was giving the commandments to these people, he was beginning to form a people from a group of former slaves. And he reveals himself as an incredibly merciful God. Now, would you look at that reading from the gospel? If you've got your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 3. If not, then look in your bulletin at page 5. And let's start by looking at verse 14. Jesus said this, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now what is that about? What is that about? That same group of people that God gave the Ten Commandments to and revealed himself as a God who was just overwhelmingly merciful. Uh, There's a story about them in the book of Numbers uh, where that group of people had been removed from Egypt, set free from Egypt, and, uh, and they had gotten out into the desert and they started to complain against God. And they started saying things like, why did you bring us out here just to die? And they they say stuff like, uh, there's no food out here. There's no water out here. And this manna stuff, we can't stand it. We don't like this. We don't even know what it is. That's what manna means. What is it? (laughs) They're longing to go back to Egypt. And so God sent venomous serpents into their camp. And lots of them were getting bit by these snakes. But why did God do that? Was it just because he was angry with them? And he was like, I know what's good for them, snakes. (laughs) No, look, where had those people just come from? They'd just come from Egypt. They just came, and you've seen pictures, haven't you, of of the pharaohs of Egypt, and what is it that uh, that adorns the top of their crown? Snakes. It's a serpent. It's the Egyptian cobra and the Egyptian myths talk about how the serpent is is the one that guides Egypt. The serpent is the one that is giving power to Egypt's gods and to Egypt's pharaohs. And God's people have just been slaves in this land where the serpent is the symbol of royal authority and power. And so he sends the serpent to remind them what life was really like in this place that they are longing to return to. You want to go back to Egypt? You don't even have to go. Let me just remind you, I'll just bring you some serpents. And when they cry out to God for help because of all these serpents, God has Moses make a bronze serpent and lift it up onto a pole so that they can look at that serpent uh, that was lifted up. And when they look upon that serpent, they're saved. They will live. So why does Jesus mention all of that about the serpent being lifted up? Two reasons, I think. 
two reasons, at least two reasons. First, because just like the serpent was lifted up and the people could look at that serpent and be saved, so will Jesus be lifted up on a pole, on a cross, so that all people can look to him and be saved. He is the means of salvation for everyone. And the second reason is this, because that thing with the serpent happened when the people were being led out of Egypt, and that thing's called the Exodus. They were, being, they were slaves in Egypt. They were being set free from their slavery in Egypt. And what Jesus is going to do for all people is a new exodus. And it's not, uh, he's not, this time he's not bringing us out of slavery in Egypt, but he's, he's redeeming us from our slavery to sin by being lifted up so that we can look to him and be rescued. This is the new exodus. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And then we hear that most famous verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. And what that means is this. When, when it says that God so loved the world, it means this is how God loved the world. Or God loves the world in this way. He gave his only son. We've heard it so much, I think, that the force of it has been lost. It doesn't even register with us what that means. But think about what this is saying. This is how God loved the world. This is how God loved the world. He gave his only son. People, this is not the kind of zeal that sends other people's sons. Does that make sense? This zeal, this kind of love, sends his very own son, his very own child. Who, I mean, whose sons do the kings of the world send into battle? Other people's sons, right? They send other people's sons. They don't send their own sons. They send other people's sons, but not this king, not this God. He sends his own. This is how God loves the world. Would commanders and kings be as willing to go to war if they were sending their own sons on the front line? Not in a million years, but this king, this God, sends his one and only son. That's the kind of love that he has for this world. He doesn't send someone else's son, he sends his own son for you and for me and for everyone out there. That should be staggering to us if we thought about it. But perhaps the most profound thing about this is this. There's nothing we can do about it. That's who he is. This is what he's done. And there's nothing we can do about it. He loves us whether we like it or not. And what I mean is this. I heard a pastor tell a story about a man in his church. It's a true story about a man in his church named Tom and Tom's six-year-old son named Ben, okay? And it was Ben's bedtime, and he didn't want to go to bed, and he kept fighting with his dad. Don't make me go to bed, trying to convince him. It's not time for me to go to bed. I'm not sleepy yet, but his dad wouldn't let him, wouldn't budge. You have to go to bed now. And so as he put his son in bed and began to leave the room, Ben was so frustrated and angry at his dad that he yelled at, Daddy, I hate you. And Tom turned around and, his, and he said, well, I'm really sorry to hear that, Ben, but I love you. And then Ben yelled back, Daddy, don't say that. Don't say that, Daddy. And he said, Ben, I do love you. Stop saying that, Daddy. Don't say that anymore. Stop saying it right now. And then his dad said, now, Benjamin, listen to me. I love you. Like it or not. Whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, we live in a world that was made by a God who loves us so much that he sent his own son 
to save us. And there's nothing we can do about it. It's just the way the world is. It's one of the fundamental laws of the universe. It's like gravity. Fighting it won't make it go away. So you might as well give yourself to it and have life. I think of a young lady who was in my college ministry. And, uh, and she used to get so mad at God for loving her. It was like she was trying to push him away. Push him away. Trying to push him too far. Like she was trying to find that point where God would stop loving her. And she would go out and do all sorts of crazy things, trying to hurt God, daring God to keep loving her, daring God to love her still because she didn't feel lovable at all. I mean, she'd been neglected as a child. She'd been hurt by so many people. There was abuse. It was terrible. And it scared her to think that God loved her still. But after trying so hard to push God away, she would finally come back and she would just weep and weep because nothing she did, nothing she did could stop God loving her. Nothing she get, did could make him stop chasing her down with his relentless love and loving her and loving her and loving her anyway. For God so loved the world, for God so loved her that he gave his only son. I'm going to end today. I'm, I'm I know I'm not even scratching the surface. The thing is, that's how God is, whether you like it or not. You should give yourself to him if you haven't. If you're fighting him, then come back to him. He didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to redeem it, that we could have life through him. I'm going to end today by reading you words to a song that to me just captures it. It's by a singer-songwriter named Pierce Pettis. Just because I'm saying that, I don't want you to check out. I want you to listen. Uh, He actually played at the last... um, uh, songwriters festival here on 30A right here he was playing right here I saw a video of him playing his music anyway Pierce Pettis he's from Fort Payne Alabama and uh, this song is called That Kind of Love listen to what he says it can't be bought or sold or fake faked that kind of love it always gives itself away that kind of love it's wiser than the wise, wisest sage it's innocence makes me ashamed till I'm not sure that I can take that kind of love. Pride and hatred cannot stand that kind of love and greater love hath no man than that kind of love. It won't be kept unto itself. It spreads its charm. It casts its spell till no one's safe this side of hell from that kind of love. Love rejected and ignored held in chains behind closed doors, stuff of legend and of songs, and deep down everybody longs for that kind of love. Oh, that kind of love. Some people never know that kind of love, though it only takes a child to show that kind of love. Widows smile and strong men weep, and little ones, they play at its feet. The deaf can hear and the blind can see that kind of love. Love triumphant, love on fire, love that humbles and inspires, love that does not hesitate, with no conditions, no restraints, that kind of love. Oh, that kind of love. So how could anyone deny that kind of love, knowing every heart is measured by that kind of love? Even stars fall from the sky. Everything will fall in time. 
accept those things that cannot die, that kind of love. Oh, may you be remembered by that kind of love.